Hello, Bookstew viewers. Uh, you can see I have a book in front of me, and you can see that the cover might look a bit similar to another book that you've noticed before if you've been watching Bookstew for a while. This is another uh, novel by Lamar Giles, who's with us again today. I can't tell you how exciting it is to know that uh, author that I've spoken to is successful enough to come out with Lamar's got, I think, three uh, published, a few more online, and here he is again to speak to us about his new novel, which is called Overturned. Lamar, it's always wonderful to see you, and especially when you're coming off a new novel and an even higher level of success. How are you doing? I'm great, Eileen. How are you? I'm good. Now, I want to tell the viewers uh, even though we had planned this show a while back, because as I, you know, I follow trade publications and I try to keep an eye on authors that I really enjoy, and so I knew that Lamar had a new novel coming out, and I was looking forward to uh, doing another book stew with him. And there I was at home in my bathrobe, perusing the Sunday New York Times book review section, probably on Thursday of that week, since I never get to it right away. And I'm just turning the pages, and what I do is I look at reviews, and if it's a book I'm interested in, I clip the review out, I request the book from the library, or I buy it, and I never read the review until I've finished it because I don't want to be influenced by the, anything the reviewer says. And I'm just flipping through, and all of a sudden, I see the cover of Overturned, Lamar's name, and I'm like, in the New York Times! Lamar's in the New York Times! So Lamar... As you can see, I'm still an excited fangirl. Tell us about how that all came about. Well, I'm honestly not sure how the book ended up with the reviewer. I'm not, I don't know that process, but I can tell you the way I found out was my editor emailed me and my agent maybe a week or so before the review was published. And it basically, the, the subject of the email was something like, ah, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> more fangirls, right? Yeah, 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 and then it said New York Times. And so I had no clue what I was going to get. And I opened it up and my editor saying, hey, just found out the book's going to be in the New York Times book review on April 16th. Um, and, e, and better news is the review was great. And she was excited. I was excited. I mean, honestly, I didn't know how to process it at first. Um, it was sort of one of those things where you feel a bit numb. And I'm like, I, I wasn't even really sure what it meant in terms of just how big it was. And it took me like a couple of days to kind of wrap my mind around it, which is good because eventually by the time it actually hit the public, which it came out online first, I was ready. And, and there was just a lot of congratulations, a lot of buzz, a lot of conversations about future career stuff that may not have happened without it. So it was a very pleasant surprise. I, you know, I, I worked for a book publicist, which I'm not doing anymore, and I was working for a book publicist when I last spoke to you. And I have to tell you honestly that as good as we were, we never placed anyone in the, in the Times, no less in the Sunday Times book review. I mean, that's the one that everybody reads. Even people who don't really care about books that much might skim it. Um, and I'm so glad because this is like accumulation of everything you've been writing for, really. Just the fact that someone thought well enough of you and liked the subject of the book enough to, to get it to the Times. Just amazing. But I do want to talk about the plot because I thought this was a big turn for you. 
setting the novel in Las Vegas, which was a complete shock and surprise to me. Your other books uh, have been very much kind of home-based, like in a, in a community, focused around a high school. Now, this is really focused around Las Vegas more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, I always say my previous books were set in my home state of Virginia and not even real Virginia City, so I wouldn't be held accountable to facts and accurate geography. <laughs> so doing the Las Vegas thing, it was actually something I tried to avoid at first because it didn't start with, I'm going to write a Las Vegas book. It started with poker. I was introduced to the game of poker a few years back, and I'm always looking for interesting traits to give to characters. So I'm like, a teen detective that plays poker sounds very cool. But then it's like, that doesn't really work as well in Virginia as it would in a city with casinos. <laughs> and obviously, Vegas is the most iconic city that would have that sort of gaming culture. And I'd never been there. And so I spent a lot of time trying to get away from it, trying to get away from it. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, it has to be Vegas. At the very least, I'm going to go out there, see what I see. If I can make it work, then I'm going forward. I end up having an incredible time with an incredible tour guide, and I learned so much about the city that I had to write the book and set it there. So um, that's, I think that's fascinating because you seem to be, um, in the book, you seem to be very uh, in tune with Las Vegas culture. Did that come a lot from the tour guide and you're spending the time there? All of it came from the tour guide. Like um, His name is Jermone Riley, and um, I met him through an acquaintance who's also a writer illustrator. Her name is Daria Peoples. They're actually married. Um, I met them in La I met Daria in Los Angeles at a writer's conference, told her what I was working on. She said, my husband can show you around. And so before I knew Jermone, I thought I'd just rent a car and drive around. And when she told me he could show me places, I thought at the very best I could hope for, we'll meet some strangers. Come to find out he was born and raised there. He was a basketball star in high school. And because he was so good at basketball, he had access to everything. And he introduced me to people who own casinos. He introduced me to his father, who's one of the first black men allowed to deal cards in Las Vegas. He introduced me to um, a notorious crime figure's daughter. I I'm going to leave it there. But <laughs> I, was able to meet, I was able to meet all these amazing people who really gave me the flavor of Vegas. I couldn't have gotten any other way. Wow. I mean, it almost, I know you must have credited him a great deal in your acknowledgments, but it almost sounds like maybe he should have a little, uh, his name in little <laughs> lights below yours. But the idea of uh, contrasting high school and Las Vegas was interesting because, you know, those of us who are novices or have been there once or twice, you don't never see behind the strip. And this takes place where the casinos are and the daughter and the main character, Nikki, is the daughter of a casino owner. But I think, first of all, uh, she's going to high school while she's become quite a poker sharp, or I don't know what the new word is for people who are great at poker. And her father, unfortunately, has been incarcerated and it looks like uh, for a while he's going to be uh, put to his death for a murder, but then as the book opens, Nikki and her mother are riding out to the prison at Eli going to meet him because he's being released. So I guess uh, one thing I loved about the book is, is, the, is the contradiction between trying to lead a normal high school life 
and being in this environment that's all tourists and gambling and lights and wealth and all that. Yeah, I'm, I'm always trying to find ways to, to give the characters a very interesting and complicated home life. Um, something when I've, when I've read a lot of young adult books, there I, I love many of them, but in some of them what I find is the home life seems to be just non-existent. And I never found that to be a thing when I was a teenager. And so when I was writing Nikki and the idea of her living in a casino and what that would mean for her and her parents and what it would mean for her and her friends and then throwing in this this ultimate huge mystery. It just seemed like the sort of thing that has all these little intricate twists and turns. And to me, that's the sort of thing that makes a novel exciting and make people want to read it. Vegas, full of mysteries and lies, is where Nikki calls home and she wants out. Overturned is the story of Nikki Tate. She grew up in a Las Vegas casino and had a lot of responsibility that people her age typically wouldn't have. So she's dealt with a lot in her life, particularly with a father who's been away for something that he didn't do. So she's dealt with teasing, bullies, um, rude hotel guests. She's gone through many, many things and now she's looking forward to a life beyond Vegas. Nikki tries hard to be a typical teenager. There's a new boy in school, Davis Carlino. Nikki's attracted to him. He's got movie star good looks, he's rich. But there's a problem because Davis is the son of an infamous Las Vegas gangster. And when the two of them meet, they discover there may be some history between their fathers. And together they're gonna to find out some very interesting things about what exactly happened to get Nikki's father sent to jail for something he didn't do. Overturned is for a reader who enjoys a thrilling mystery, a touch of romance, the glitz and glamour of one of the world's most famous cities, sports rivalries. There's a little bit of something for everybody in this book, and it's gonna be hard to put down once you get started. Overturned at your Scholastic Book Fair. And I just, I didn't see another way to do it other than contrast those two things and, and just get this like interesting mashup. At times I was writing it and surprising myself. And I don't think that comes without those kinds of complications. I thought Nikki was um, even more complex than your other two uh, protagonists in your other two uh, YA novels have been because she's um, obviously sensitive. She picks up on everything. Her father has taught her to play poker until she's probably almost as good as he is. And yet, you know, she, in a way, she still wants to be a normal high school girl, but there she is, especially since her father's in prison. She's basically running the casino and she's got kind of a strange relationship with her mother. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, because I, I wanted, I'll back up a bit. Nikki lives in a place called Andromeda's Palace. That's the name of the casino that she lives in. And that really informed a lot of the complications between her and her parents because it, it developed from a poker player to a poker player in Vegas to a poker player who lives in a casino. So then I had to name the casino and just, you know, brainstorming stuff, Andromeda's Palace came up. It's a cool name, but when you look into the myth of Andromeda, the Greek myth about this um, girl whose parents made Poseidon mad. And because they made Poseidon mad, he insisted that she be chained to a rock for a monster to come eat her. And Once I had that in mind, the, the themes of the novel sort of spun out from there. Yeah, There's I can, see, I can see her as being chained because really 
She's chained to the casino and to her exactly. mother. Exactly. All of that came from building off of the myth. Um, that complication between her and her parents, the, the, the mother's and father's pride keeps Nikki stuck in a place she doesn't want to be. And so the logical thing there is if she's got this skill that can make money, just make enough money to get out of here. And then, of course, that gets complicated, too. And then she's got um, these two friends of hers who are, um, I, I like how uh, the friends have a great conflict. There's a guy who's a football player, and there's her friend Molly, who's um, like the soccer queen. And they're both uh, going to go to the University of, I saw you got Virginia in there. And, oh, yeah. I, and they'll go on scholarship, but um, Nikki really can't get a scholarship for poker, so that's not going to happen. So she has got to figure out a way because the, the sadly enough the casino isn't doing that well and I don't get the feeling it's because Nikki isn't very competent she is but there must be like scale in Las Vegas where Andromeda is just too small to compete with the bigger casinos yeah I, that's the sense I got when I was in Vegas um, because Andromeda is set it's, it's in a place where a real casino could be when I was in Vegas, the place that casino is set is actually an empty lot. And I tried to do that because I wanted to keep all of Vegas's real geography in place. So this is out by Fremont Street, which is what some locals call Old Vegas. Uh -huh. And these are smaller, classic casinos. Um, the stuff from you would see in like the movies based in the 60s and whatnot. And you do get the sense that when you're there and then you go to the strip where you have these huge, huge skyscrapers and resorts that it's sort of like David versus Goliath. And uh, Nikki is tired of fighting that fight. I mean, it's, it's not really a responsibility that should be on a young girl. And as you, as you read the novel, you see that maybe it wasn't something her mother wanted to do either. Hmm. So it's these old obligations that's just worn them down. And so she's trying to find that out and poker's the way. So there, I mean, there are more conflicts than you can shake a stick at really because there's um, Nikki's conflict with her with her father when he gets out of prison, with her mother that's just been kind of going along the whole time, and then all of a sudden uh, there there's a transfer in, and you do there is two rival high schools, and that part I think you handle so perfectly because you know here's Las Vegas gambling money, and then there's these two high schools that are at war with each other because they have a traditional allies and. That whole relationship between the two schools is almost like going back to a small town again. And so I loved how you brought in that kind of uh, different element into this glamorous Las Vegas world. And so a boy transfers in from another school, their big rival school, and what does Nikki come to find out about him, which is pretty amazing. Um, Nikki comes to find out that um, this transfer, Davis Carlino, is the son of one of the biggest casino owners in Las Vegas, Big Burt Carlino, who is also a rumored gangster. And there seems to be some family history between the Carlinos and Nikki's family. She doesn't know what that is. Davis doesn't know what it is. But it leads to some pretty dark places that they need to figure out pretty fast. Uh, and can I just make one comment? The idea of that high school rivalry, this is an example of something I couldn't have done on my own because that rivalry is based on a real rivalry that Jermon was able to tell me about when we were touring the parts of Vegas that people don't usually see. So again, this is one of those things where it's just the flavor of Vegas 
from dealing with a local really informed what's in the book. So wait, so there really is that, that intense rivalry? I mean, they, they pulled some pranks on each other. They were really funny, but very like, I mean, much more than I can think of our two neighboring towns here in the sleepy, boring suburbs would ever pull on each other. Well, no, the pranks were all me. Uh, I don't know that those <laughs> schools go at each other that way, but the the theoretical location of the schools, um, there are similar names to what I named the schools. Um, those are real schools. They're they're very close to each other. They're sports rivals, and I, I just took that and tried to build on it because before that, my knowledge of Vegas is what I call the televised version of Vegas. All I knew was the strip, but. That tour showed me so many other parts that I wanted to kind of get as much of it in as I could. So when, uh, so did you have, did Nikki or were any of the characters, had they appeared to you before you went to Las Vegas? Oh yeah, yeah, I had those characters in mind. Uh, I knew there was, I knew there was my, my girl Nikki, I knew she had some friends, and I knew poker would try to be, would probably be a tool for her to try to leave. But, the geography was just something I was unfamiliar with. I was unfamiliar with the neighborhoods. All I knew, I didn't, I wasn't even familiar with the strip, if I'm being honest. All I knew was the 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 little bit they show when there's a, a boxing match or when there's World Series of Poker or when they have the real world on MTV. So I had the characters, but just didn't understand the placement of everything until I got out there. So did you? Um, did your guide take you? into casinos where these high stakes poker play uh, poker games were being played? Well actually he and I did not go into casinos but in the evenings when we weren't together I would go on my own and so I ended up in the Aria, um, I believe Caesars has a poker room, I was in the Bellagio and so I was able to go into these places and, and there weren't any high stakes games happening at that time but I was able to observe some normal games and I had the opportunity to sit in I ended up not doing that even though I know how to play, I'm just, I'm not a gambler myself. And so I had a hard time with it, but I was able to see some of the iconic places in Vegas and some of them make it into the book, as you know. So does this, how did you, before you went, you had a certain perception of Las Vegas, which is probably, I've only been there once and for a very short period of time. And, you know, to me, it was just, it's all glitz, sports betting, phony, you know, you got to see behind there, but what do you what do you think of it as a place to grow up? Like your guide actually grew up there. Did you get a sense from him? Was it kind of skitzy? Because here, you know, you're just a high school kid or an elementary school kid, and then there's all the stuff going on here. Now, I got the impression that is it's not very different growing up there than growing up in my hometown. Um, because you know, when you get into your own neighborhood, everything feels small, no matter where you are, mm. and what I heard over and over again was the that the Vegas Strip is just an industry for them. I grew up in a factory town. And when it was explained to me that the Strip was just an industry, I realized that was their version of the factory town. That's where people went to work. That's how people supported their families and put roof over, over, over their heads. But at the end of the day, you come home and there was nothing. People played sports. People had friends. They went on dates. Um, there's neighborhoods where the people are rich. There are neighborhoods where the people are impoverished. And that's very much like where I grew up. And I, I started to realize that probably most cities are that way once you get to know them. Um, and so the impression I got was it wasn't anything different growing up in Vegas than growing up where you are, or where I am. It's just they had that very specific gaming industry that a lot of people find employment in. Well, and they had, I mean, I know that for years and years, Las Vegas was very much a boom town because they had, 
insane building going on because everyone was moving there because it was the industry that wasn't going to fail. You couldn't really offshore it, even though there's, you know, online poker, DraftKings, stuff like that. Um, I still don't think it was going to necessarily, it wasn't going to kill Las Vegas. You can't offshore Las Vegas. So, um, but I guess the boom times kind of for building housing kind of dropped and then people were stuck with underwater mortgages and stuff like that. So, but it does seem to be a place where, where you should be able to find a job and support yourself. But I bet a lot of those jobs are not high paying at all. You know, they're like on the line of working in a supermarket or customer service, unless you're like a big deal dealer or, you know, up in security or something like that. Um, it, that that's probably the case for a lot of the hospitality jobs. But like you said, if you're able to be a dealer and you're good, I mean, just the tips alone, the tips alone, um, I was told you can make a pretty nice living doing that over many years and years and years. Um, but in regard to the failed real estate ventures and things of that nature, it's interesting because there's actually a place on, by the strip or on the strip where they were trying to build up this whole new sort of section, uh, a new strip, so to speak. And that went bust back in like 08 or 09, I think. And so there's all these skeletal remains of these skyscrapers they started to build. And so that's a location I used to, to put the Nisos, the hotel in the book. Because again, I'm trying to keep to real geography, and so I tried to I tried to take it to the level of the Nisos is a hotel that didn't fail, and that's where it would be if if things had gone well. Um, so I tried to really think about how things have gone bad and how they could have gone better, and, and work that into the book as accurate geography. That was interesting because the Nisos, um, Nikki's uh, love interest, is one of two sons of the Nisos owner. Uh, they're both Carlinos. And the contrast between the two sons is really very dramatic. I mean, yeah. the brother, the brother, they, they kind of like, the younger brother, he's always like, this is my brother, this is my brother, you know, I'm loyal to my brother. But the older brother, woo! Well, you know, they were raised so differently. Um, Cedric, the older brother, was, the mother's in New York. The father came out to Vegas to oversee this big hotel project and took the oldest son with him. So the oldest son, Cedric, has been raised with very to be very business-minded, even though he probably doesn't want to be, where Davis, the younger, was raised to be a bit more gentle. And that's a dividing point between them because the father likes things a certain way. He likes a certain attitude. And one of those brothers probably displays it a little bit better than the other. Yeah, there's a, I, I, I mean, conflicts between family members are, are always fascinating. And especially, as you said, when you're raised, you know, in different settings. So, um, have you done a book tour behind Overturned yet? I've hit some locations. I've been to Texas. I was in Atlanta before the book came out, and then a lot of more local events in Virginia. So, Richmond here in Chesapeake, where I live, um, and I'll be doing more stuff as the summer goes on. So, it's it's not a it's not a, a tight two week book tour that some authors do, but more of a prolonged promotional thing. And um, what's coming up next? I know uh, you mentioned while we were getting ready that there are some secret projects and a non-secret project, so. Yeah, yeah, I'm working on like three things right now. Two of them I can't really talk about yet, but one of them is a new book for HarperCollins, and it's a, it's a bit of a change of direction from the mysteries. It's a coming of age story. Right now, it's tentatively titled Healthy Living and Other Electives. And the premise is, 
a young man joins the purity pledge of this church because a girl he likes is in it. He's also the only person at the church who's allowed to take sex ed at his high school. And so he becomes a bit of a double agent as the kids in the purity pledge pass questions to him to ask in sex ed. And it starts as a controversy in his town. It starts in the church and then sort of snowballs into controversy into town between his parents and the church, between him and his parents, between him and this girl. And so it's, 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 it's a bit more personal and a bit sweeter than stuff I've written before. But no worries. I'm still writing mysteries. This is just a slight change of direction. All right. Well, coming of age is my favorite genre anyway. And I always like how you can uh, you handle so well whether you have uh, a male lead figure or you have a female. I don't think everybody can do that. Um, is Do you think there's something... What is it in you that makes you able to write good female characters since not every male author wouldn't even bother trying? Well, I would say it's not necessarily something in me. I'm not afraid to do it, and I have good support because really everybody that reads my stuff before it goes to a larger audience is a woman. And so tackling a female voice, I'm not afraid to mess up. And I think that's what trips a lot of writers up. And if, and since I'm not afraid to mess up, I can easily do a draft and then pass it off to my wife, my agent, my editor, and get feedback to say, hey, you could do this better, or um, this might be a little better this way. Or, you know, they would give me the feedback that allows me to, to make my female characters seem more authentic. And I'm happy to take that feedback. That's interesting because just think if every man had the advantage of kind of previewing what he was thinking or what he was saying with three cool women who yeah. wouldn't like necessarily jump down his throat, but could maybe make a suggestion or two without really getting him so, so defensive that he wouldn't be able to hear it. So that's, you know, that's great. Yeah, I mean, you know, I always say I grew up in a house. Um, it was my, me, my mom, and my sister. And uh, so I'm, I'm very used to taking criticism on my maleness too so i know when, i know how to scale things back when i'm being a little bit too male <laughs> <laughs> i don't think there's any such thing as being too male it's just being not a cool enough male but i think right, right. You, you already passed that so we don't worry about that <laughs> now um what about uh we need diverse books how is that going oh it's great um this is our third year so as a nonprofit, that's an incredible milestone because most nonprofits don't make it past two years. Hmm. And going into our third year, our programs are running really great. Our mentorships, the internships, um, the Walter Awards and the Walter Grants. And um, now we're doing um, diversity retreats in partnership with Madcap Retreats. And um, we're going to be working on several other projects. We have an app coming out this summer that'll help people find more diverse books. So we're, we're doing a lot of good work and have seem to have found a rhythm for how we operate best. That's excellent. I'm thinking that I might uh, want to do a show with the uh, We Need Diverse Books group sometime because um, I don't think, I think the need in the title of, of that group is never going to go away. We always need diverse books and we always need to hear from diverse writers. You know, not only the characters, but we need to hear from people whose experiences are not what you consider the default value of the United States, which is, you know, white pretty much. But let me ask you one more thing about the, um, about the casinos before we go, because I was really interested in the fact that you had uh, a black casino owner 
Were there any casinos in Las Vegas that were owned by non-white people? I, when I was talking to Jermone, I think he mentioned there may, may have been one. And, okay. and I don't have a lot of detail there. I, I seem to remember there at least being one. I don't know if there's many more than that, if that makes sense. And I mean, I, I, I probably could go through my notes and find out more information. It's been a couple of years, actually, since I've had to look at the detailed notes. But I feel like there was at least one casino that was owned by a, a non-white owner or a non-white ownership group. But I can't remember what it is. Okay, well, it's, it's good to know because, I mean, I have to be very honest. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Because of those stupid Ocean's Eleven movies, you know, I never imagined anyone owning a casino other than like Andy Garcia and Julia Roberts right. or something like that. So it's, you know, in addition to needing diverse books, we also need to know that if this country worked right, everybody could do everything, you know, and you yeah, wouldn't be limited yeah. in any way. All right, Lamar, well, our time unfortunately flew by, and I know I'm going to see you again when, yes. you're, when your next effort uh, reaches the public and hopefully maybe even the front page of the Sunday New York <laughs> Times review. But uh, let's stay in touch. It's always wonderful to speak to you and to my audience. Uh, I, as usual, am really recommending Overturned, and I think uh, hopefully you've picked up enough uh, from our discussion to want to run right to the library or to the bookstore, which would be even better, and uh, take a peek and you'll love it, I promise. Uh, Lamar, have a good night, and viewers, thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.